ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old A&P, it's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and my Diana Feinstein fan club co-president, Tower Crawley. How goes it? Of the North Carolina chapter or like no, national? National. We oh. are the top. Man, that's, uh, a, that's a lot of pressure. Five fan club. That's a that's a lot of pressure. But I'm 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 good with it. What was it? A and P. You said A and P. I did an A and P. I don't Do even know, know what any, that is. I don't even know what that don't. is. You no. don't. That's it's like a grocery store. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> What's it stand for? Now that I have no idea. But you know, A and P to grab some, you know, soda pop and whatever back in the back in the day. Yeah, I got no idea what that is. Wow, I'm, I'm completely, I'm unprepared to start this podcast. I will say that much. Somewhat, somewhat unprepared. That's okay. Well, I'm, I, I sound awful, so I'll just let you do the rest of it since oh, you're unprepared. That's awful. My brain's not working. Your mouth's not working. Ooh, this, this could be a little rough here. Uh, but you know who might have it a little bit more rough here coming in the very, very near future? Donald Trump, because as we all know, he declared his national emergency. And the wall building is going to commence at any second, assuming the courts don't stop it or if Congress doesn't stop it. And yesterday, our very own U.S. Senator, the junior senator, Tom Tillis, wrote an op-ed that was published in The Washington Post, which I'm sure every Trump supporter loved that he posted that in The Washington Post. And he said, quote, conservatives rightfully cried foul when President Barack Obama used executive action to completely bypass Congress. There is no intellectual honesty in now turning around and arguing that there's an imaginary asterisk attached to his executive overreach that is acceptable for my party, but not thy party. He has joined Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, which means right now it is a tie 50 because they joined the other 47 Democrats. Uh, so it's 50 50 tie, which means if this vote happened now, I guess Mike Pence would be the tiebreaker. But if one more Republican defects, they will. Uh, override Trump's executive declaration. Now, he, of course, can veto that, and we'll see what happens there. But, Kevin, I got to ask you, um, how big of an issue is this going to be in the conservative movement? Be Or how big of, I should say, paradox is this for conservatives who spent years bashing President Barack Obama's unilateral overreach and now here many Republicans are afraid to go on the record and make the very same argument that Tom Tillis did? Well, I mean, this has been the dichotomy of the Republican Party since Trump's election. I've heard so many people. I mean, this isn't the first time that Trump has just said, I'm going to do this by executive order. And all of the I don't say all the people, but a few people who bashed Obama for this are now celebrating Trump on this. And um, to say there's hypocrisy is pretty fair across both parties. Um, I'm glad to see that Tillis did kind of stand up to this. He's never been known as the um, constitutional conservative, so to speak. <laughs> um, but I, I'm glad to see that he came out and did this. I don't know ultimately what difference it is going to make in the long run, since Trump is always going to do what Trump wants to do. Um, but I, I think it's I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because Trump's already ready for this to be challenged in the courts. And our our current form of government is so strange compared to how it was intended to work that I'm not really sure what any of it actually matters at this point to I don't mean to keep quoting Hillary Clinton, but what difference does it make? Because you don't have Congress passing budgets. You have the president just doing whatever they want with the executive order. Um, then you have the courts basically making laws 
um, and completely overturning any sort of state's rights issues on a national level. Um, so I, I just think we have a really screwed up form of government right now. And I don't know that that standing up, although I'm glad Tillis is doing it, it I, I don't know what that's going to do long term. Well, you know, it's interesting while we're sitting here talking about this, because this thought just popped into my brain is I had Tillis on the show last year because he and I think Christopher Coons were the ones pushing a protect Mueller bill. Now, he didn't like it because I, I mentioned that it was the protect Mueller bill. And he actually corrected me because he didn't like it being called that because it's really about protecting any special counsel, not just particularly Mueller. But what's interesting about that is he got a lot of back, backlash from you know Trump supporters as well. How dare you protect Mueller? This is a horrible thing ever. But the special counsel, you know, if, if he is this constitutional senator, and I, and I like Tom Tillis, I, I, I think he's 100% correct on this, but I think he's going to face some backlash because he's trying to set up legislation that would protect Robert Mueller, who's a special counsel. Special counsel is unconstitutional, in my opinion. I mean, based on the way that it's set up in that it doesn't, it's not supposed to answer to somebody, right? A special counsel is supposed to be independent of the executive because, um, I mean, the fact that le- the legislature would be passing something to protect him, that would mean it's independent of the executive branch who has the investigative power. So he's passing legislation that goes against the very constitutional or the very constitution that he's arguing for. He's like, Article One, Article Two, you know, Article One. And it's like, yeah, but the problem is, is that this is about Article Two and the president has the power of investigations. And if he wants to fire Mueller, he absolutely can. You guys have no authority whatsoever to protect someone who is under the executive branch. And so that is an area where I would love to see him have to answer that question. And this is one of the problems that we run into in the Trump era is that everyone loves the Constitution until they don't. And you find very few people that are consistent on this issue. And a lot of people on my Facebook page, when I posted this, this op-ed, you know, they hate Tom Tillis. You know, this is an emergency. We got to deal with it right now. And listen, I agree. I'm all for them building a border wall. I'm all for more border security. We do need walls. We do need, uh, you know, a border. It does need to be protected. But Congress's refusal to do their job does not mean that you can circumvent them. Uh, that's the same thing that Obama argued. He got frustrated. You know, he wanted immigration reform. He couldn't get it. So he said, fine, I'll do it myself. And we took him to court and won on at least one of the issues. But it, it's it's just very frustrating because, as everyone's pointed out, if we do this, we are going to face the repercussions because more than likely the next Democrat president will declare climate change and national security and will move forward on building green energy. And it will be ridiculous and we'll have no leg to stand on. And that worries me tremendously. Yeah, I think that you're completely correct and that we need some sort of consistency um, with looking at the Constitution. And this is exactly like what Obama did with the recess appointments. Congress wouldn't get his appointments through. So he waited till they went home and then just did it himself. And and bypassing an entire branch of government is just not the answer, um, regardless of of how you view things. And I hope that um, the kind of pro-Trump base maybe gets that. Um, They probably won't, but you can always hope. You can always. Hear. <laughs> um, but I, I am glad that Tom Tillis is our senator compared to, say, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who I mentioned at the top of the show. And it's as if she had never heard of Bob Etheridge. Senator Dianne Feinstein went toe to toe with a group of students that visited her office last week. 
While the indoctrinated youth regurgitated talking points about the Green New Deal, she wasn't going to back down. At one moment, she even challenged a 16-year-old by telling her, actually, no, you didn't vote for me because of her age. This video is so fire, DiFi might be as salty as Lindsey Graham 2.0. However, after watching the full video, not just the small part that's being shared around the internet, it does soften the overall tone and kind of picture of what was going on. And the senator actually went on to say that she su supported a version of the Green New Deal that she thought might actually pass, not this AOC full leftist extremist version. But nonetheless, she took a pretty big hit on social media and some traditional media over the, over the weekend. So Tyler, my question to you, though, is how impressed are you that the media was actually able to find the full video clip surrounding Dianne Feinstein? <laughs> That's true. Usually involving children, they have a difficult time finding the video. Uh, I guess it depends on who pot potentially is being oppressed. And they were the media was in quite quite a, a conundrum because they wanted to protect a liberal Democrat, but at the same time, they want to protect uh, liberal kids and they didn't know who to go with. And so I, that, that's why the story, I think, kind of faded away so quickly. A Republican. Oh, man, they never would. That, that, that film would have disappeared into Hitler's bunker so quick that we never would have found it ever again. They would have disappeared completely. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought the exchange was amazing, though. Uh, I thought it was hysterical. Because Diane Feinstein was was arguing with the kids like they were adults. You know, she's like, you know, first she asked them how old they were. And then when they admitted they were all like under 18, she's like, well, none of you voted for me. And then she pointed out that, uh, you know, she, she made the argument. I mean, she was attacking their facts, attacking the arguments that they were making uh, and that it won't be turned around. Like, I've done this and I've been a great, you know, a, a, a listener of constituents. And but it, it was it was an amazing video. Because like I said, she acted like she was talking to adults and you just don't see that. Usually you see condescending adults and I think she should have been applauded for, you know, if they're going to approach her with an adult subject and adult questions and she didn't baby him. She said, no, that's a, you know, that's, that's dumb because it's not going to work. We're not going to turn things around. That's not how Washington works. And just like killed all of their hopes and dreams about, you know, things they read in history books. They're like, here's what actually happens in Washington. That's not going to happen in 10 years. It's not going to happen in 12 years. It's a bad idea. And so I just, I loved the video because it just, like I said, she didn't pander. She didn't coddle and conservatives should be cheering it because yeah, I mean, she, she showed those kids what's up and we need to, we need to have more of that in society. Annoying little kids need to be put in their place far more often. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and what I love about that video, though, is I think it shows this strange dichotomy that we have talked about with the Democrat Party over the last several episodes um, with sort of this friction between the we'll call them the establishment and then the AOC fringe group. And you had these people come in straight up demanding that she do something or else. And she basically said, you're not going to threaten me. <laughs> this isn't how things work. It's not your way or the highway, I think is her direct quote. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was fascinating because as someone who has worked in a legislator's office, uh, granted here on the state level, this is the kind of thing that we experience every day um, or that I should say I used to experience and that legislators experience on a very regular basis. You have people who regardless of where they agree with you on the spectrum. If, they, if you don't agree with them on that issue or you don't act in a way that they feel 
is representative of them on that particular issue, they go after you. Um, and I think it's really sad that we don't have the ability for people to sit down and say, here is here is what we would like to see done. How can we work with you to accomplish that? Or how could we work with you or find other people to help support some legislation to at least make progress on an issue? No, it's, it's always we want 100% or you're a traitor. And I saw it every single day. And it's, it's just kind of funny to see that from people across the aisle getting, getting it on public television. I also want to point out, and this is my original take on this, and it's my take on every time I see a kid in a video talking about a politician or confronting a politician, stop. To the parents out there, stop. It, it, it's, it's, I, I think it's child abuse. Um, I think, and this is as someone who was a college Republican. And so I did probably get involved in politics earlier than most. And my parents were very civic minded. My mom went to vote and she would take me to vote all the time and just showed me how the process works, but they didn't take me to, you know, political rallies, which by the way, I don't have anything against that either, but they didn't push me into politics and to get involved in activism. And to me, there's no different than pushing someone into political activism and pushing them into a sport, pushing them into acting. There's no difference. And what we witnessed in that video is essentially child abuse. I think that we should keep children away from politics as long as we can, because politics sucks. It like steals your soul. The issues that are being debated. I mean, those kids were arguing in front of a U.S. senator. They're arguing that the planet is going to die in 12 years. Can you imagine being that young and someone telling you that the, I mean, it was so funny because before we did this podcast, I was watching the movie Deep Impact, <laughs> the movie about that asteroid is going to come down and like destroy the world. That's essentially what these parents are telling these kids that like there's an asteroid on the way here and it's climate change and it's going to destroy the world and you're never going to see the age of 25 if she doesn't vote for the Green New Deal. That is child abuse. I mean, that kid's going to have an ulcer by the time they're in junior high. And that to me is what I find just absolutely horrible about this. Let children find their own path. It's also why every young conservative you see at CPAC three years later is a flaming liberal. Every time. Let them find their own path and keep them away from politics till at least they're in college. Because otherwise, I consider that a form of child abuse. Yeah, no, I think you're on to a great point there because we need more people – aware and educated on the civic process, how things are supposed to work, but not shoved into the nitty gritty of politics because it is so nuanced and complicated that clearly the adults leading them didn't understand the process. And yet they're shoving them into this. I mean, it's no different than child acting. I thought that was a great analogy. You're pushing them in there and now we're going to have a whole bunch of middle-aged Macaulay Calkins living in their parents' basement because of Diane Feinstein's office encounter. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, it, it just drives me crazy when I see that. Because like I said, first of all, you, you can't even vote. So if you can't vote, you really can't do anything. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I don't care how smart you are at 15. There's no voter in the world that's going to listen to a 15-year-old. Yeah, maybe you can sell some books. Maybe you can go on whatever. But if I'm a voter and some 15 year old comes up and goes, Hey, I want to talk to you about this race. I'm like, all right, no, I'm not. So keeping kids away from politics till they can vote, I think is in, the, in their best interest and in everybody's best interest. So well, if we can stop this child abuse, please let's stop it. And mind you, Tyler, you have Virginia passing a law or attempting to, I don't know if it passed or not saying that you have to be 21 to purchase tobacco, 
So at the same time, we're saying <laughs> you're did, not responsible enough to figure out whether or not you should smoke, but we want you to vote and run the country at 16. It's it's oh, absurd because it, yeah. it just fits their agenda. That's the difference. Don't get me started on the the insanity of adult versus non-adult. I mean, the left thinks that 18 year olds can sign up for the military and go fight for your country. They can take out a hundred thousand dollar loan and go to college and they can vote, but they can't drink alcohol. <laughs> they, they now can't smoke or chew tobacco, but they can do all those other. Oh, and they can't concealed carry. <laughs> it's like, but you like I said, but you can go to war and fight and potentially die you can take out a loan amount of money that could bank that could basically hamstring you for the rest of your life. All of those things are acceptable to the left that 18 year olds can do, but they can't smoke, drink or concealed carry. So yeah, don't even, don't even get me started on that. All right. Speaking of things that are ridiculous, let's talk about the bombshell ruling on Friday afternoon. There's way too many news stories that break on Friday. I don't, once again, not child abuse, but a different kind of abuse. We should have some weekend, and I feel far too often our weekends are taken from us when news stories break on Friday because you spend all weekend wondering, you know, what's going to be happening when the news cycle starts back up, or at least I do. It steals the weekend from me because it's my job. But there was a ruling from a Wake County Superior Court who threw out two amendments uh, after a motion for summary judgment was, in fact, uh, put forward by the NAACP dealing with voter ID and the uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, what is it? It's the income tax, the income tax cap. And so the judge in that case, this was the decision behind the ruling. Uh, the judge, G. Brian Collins, had a single premise that North Carolina's General Assembly is the product of districts so gerrymandered, um, gerrymandered that its members don't truly represent the state. He wrote, the General Assembly is not empowered to pass legislation that would amend the state's constitution. Now, the problem with this ruling, and this is actually uh, a decision that many on the right and left came to is that that ruling, if it were upheld, would essentially argue that everything the General Assembly has done for 18 months, it would all be up for challenge and holding and using that as precedent would mean it would essentially all be wiped off the mat or map, I should say. Uh, Kevin, the last 18 months, the Republicans have done a lot in the General Assembly. How horrible would it be to erase everything for the last 18 months, especially uh, people like you who did a lot of hard work over those last 18 months. Well, I mean, if we're going to go with the last 18 months, can't we go all the way back to the gerrymandered maps that Roy Cooper um, yeah. fought against in the uh, early two th- I think 2001 uh, was a case uh, where they, where they had to, to file against the maps. You, you can't do that. I mean, as much as you want to complain about the, the maps or say that they were unconstitutional, gerrymandered, um, that the, the people elected are illegitimate. You, you can't do that. You can't effectively do that. And one of the big reasons for that is a lot of people will latch onto one or two big pieces of legislation or maybe the budget. And they say, oh, well, you know, this budget was so egregious and it didn't have enough for teacher pay or something. We want to invalidate that. But the truth of the matter is, is that 99% of all legislation that is passed at the General Assembly is overwhelmingly bipartisan, first of all, 
And second of all, it's generally on small things that have an impact on a few people, but are dramatic. I mean, you start talking about victims' rights issues or when they change a classification of a misdemeanor or a felony or something small that most people don't even notice the stuff that gets pushed through there, but it's it's improving government. And one of the reasons I've always noticed that is that it infuriates me that government is so big that we have to pass hundreds of bills every year just to constantly tweak the laws that are on the books. I mean, the legislature is going to have to be full-time 365 before too long just to keep up with the size and scope of government. But that aside, so much that goes through passes, you know, 120 to nothing in the House. Um, and so you, you can't go invalidating all of that stuff. So much of it is so important, too, um, as far as, I mean, you talk about environmental cleanliness and stuff. I mean, if you invalidated some of the stuff that was passed, I mean, you're talking about the Gen X money that they're, they had to rent the equipment to start testing the water and going through that. You're talking about hurricane relief funds. I mean, wh- what are you going to undo? There's so many unintended consequences that it sounds a great talking point, but it just cannot be done. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the whole idea of, well, can we go back to other maps? Because the reality is that this would open Pandora's box. I mean, this has been my argument since day one. I mean, the term gerrymander came about, and I think I looked it up, it was the early 1800s. It came from a Massachusetts, I think it was governor, and they were drawing districts for favorable for their party. And someone said, it looks like a salamander. And they said, ah, it's a gerrymander. That's how long this has been around. The Democrats had control of North Carolina for 100 years, not because they were great legislators. I know Democrats love to tell their you know kids this in a fairy tale that, oh, the reason the Democrats had power for so long was because they were so great, unlike these awful Republicans who didn't do the will of the people. Republicans had control of this state because they gerrymandered the districts. And then thanks to Beverly Perdue and the Democrat leadership who got so corrupt and so ineffective, they almost bankrupted the state and it got so bad that even through the gerrymander, the Republicans won a supermajority and things have changed dramatically in this state because of it. And thank God it actually did happen. But you're right. I mean, we could open up this box and that's why you're even seeing that the Charlotte Observer editorial board came out and said this is a gift for Republicans, considering how insane it is. Jeff Jackson, a Democrat senator, came out and said, I cannot support this, making the exact same argument about opening Pandora's box. I mean, this would allow everything, not only for the last 18 months, but I mean, the Republicans could have a legitimate claim going back the last 100 years that the the districts were gerrymandered. And so, I mean, this judge just uh, trying to be a partisan ended up giving the other side a gift because not only can you make the claim about, you know, all the other gerrymandered districts and and times that it happened, uh, but the argument from uh, the Charlotte Observer editorial board was that it proves that judicial activism is real. And now the Republicans have something to run on in 2020. And that was a gift for the Republican. I mean, this judge, uh, you know, I I guess thinking he was being a team player really messed and uh, screwed up and is now going to make it harder for Democrats, not easier. Yeah. And I mean, you, you actually misspoke and said Republicans held power due to gerrymandering. Oh. Democrats held power due to gerrymandering. I wanted to clear that up in case anybody lost. Well, the Republicans point. also <laughs> hold power because of gerrymandering, too. They just they're right. In the, in the last hundred years, it was the Democrat gerrymandering. But both sides have taken advantage of gerrymandering. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, right. it's, just, it's just funny that, you know, they did it for 100 years. We did it for eight. And now it's this horrible, horrible thing. Right. And and my question would also be, this is moving forward, is what would certify that an election was fair on fair maps, right? I mean, they haven't even addressed 
what that would look like. So after the next election, would anything that they potentially pass be irrelevant if at any point during that time period it was challenged? What would be the standard? Yeah. Well, I mean, and and, and here's why, and, and I've seen different legislation move forward. I would support a fair redistricting model, but it would have to be a constitutional amendment because I don't trust the Democrats. If we start making elections fair and they you know win a seat in a favorable year, they would go right back to gerrymandering, right back to gerrymandering. And so the only reason Republicans should give this power up is if it is constitutionally protected. That's the only reason they should do that. Yeah, I think I, 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 I think my uh, my Siri is uh, is being activated. I heard that. <laughs> I thought that was that? just your, your I thought your secretary had opened the door to ask you if you needed another beverage <laughs> or something. Why does it do that? It does that sort of my radio show. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Maybe you should turn that off. Just a thought. <laughs> well, I, oh, you can turn Siri off. The, 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 the hay part. Yeah. Oh, OK. I'll look into that. All right. Sorry. Uh, as you were. <laughs> No, no, that's that's fine. What I, I was going to smoothly transition something along the lines of of the battle of power continues at the uh, the state legislature, because last night the television lineup was prime time gold. And no, Tyler, I'm not talking about The Bachelor. Instead, I'm giving a rose to the strangest couple, Governor Ray Cooper and the Republican legislature. With their awkward date lasting just under an hour, both Cooper and GOP members seem to believe that they are fulfilling a mandate from the voters. The governor cited Medicaid expansion, education, and the environment as just a few areas that need new expanded programs. In their rebuttal, GOP leadership said that they were voted in by a majority who supported their efforts, citing the constitutional amendments that passed last fall. So, Tyler, here is my question. Is bipartisanship possible with both partners in this relationship being completely delusional? <laughs> Speaking of delusional, I just want to point out, I think it's funny you think I stay up late enough to watch The Bachelor. I wake up at 3 a.m., buddy. I'm not staying up late enough to watch The Bachelor. <laughs> I'm sorry. You TiVo that. I exactly. apologize. TiVo? Dude, what year are you living in, man? I DVR it. TiVo. I actually still have a TiVo. I don't use it, but I have a TiVo in my house. But back to your original question. Uh, no, I, I I love the bipartisanship of of uh Roy Cooper. Let's expand Medicaid. Join me in this journey. And all the Democrats are like, that was so bipartisan. What? Asking the other side to join your side is not bipartisan. <laughs> That's not anywhere close to the definition of bipartisan. That's, That's just asking Republicans to, to become Democrats. That's all he's doing. That's not bipartisan. Bipartisan would have been, let's work together to make Medicaid expansion work. And, you know, we'll do it so the people have to pay some sort of premium. I mean, I'm not for Medicaid expansion at all, at all, period. Full stop, whatever the, the 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 cool phrase is. I'm not for it. And but if he were to say, okay, let's do this, let's do that, and and find a way to say, hey, let's make him pay somewhat, put some skin in the game. But he didn't do that. He just said we're gonna expand Medicaid, we're gonna get free money from the government, and the Republicans better get on board this train because it's leaving the station. That's not bipartisanship. And I don't think we're ever gonna have bipartisanship till people realize that. Because this is the same argument that's made by the far, far right. You know, like the Ted Cruz's who were like, we have to repeal Obamacare, end a story, and the Democrats were never going to do that. So all of the motions and the shutdowns and everything else were worthless. And it's the same crap AOC is doing where it's like Green New Deal or nothing. Until people realize that bipartisanship means, you know, 50 percent, 50 percent, we're never going to see it. Yeah, you know, and, and, and my question, although sarcastic, was kind of genuine is that – I don't know how we see bipartisanship in this environment. 
Because no matter what happens lately, and I saw this develop more and more over the last several years at the legislature, even things that should be bipartisan, the the party that is against the particular legislation just grandstands. They stand there and they talk about how awful it is, um, even if there are parts of it that they support or even if there are parts of it that they helped change. Because a lot of this, by the time it gets through a committee, there are tweaks and changes. This isn't a lot of people would have you think that the Republicans just do whatever they want at the legislature. And with a majority, you do get a lot of say in what goes on. But they have included, especially in the budget, a lot of things that the the House Minority Leader, Darren Jackson, will bring to the table and other members of their party. And yes, it's not a a total bipartisan budget in that everybody gets what they want, but it's not just we completely excluded you, but yet when the budget conversations happen this year, I'll, I will wait for it. I'll say it right now and we'll talk about it in June. But the Democrats will talk about how awful this, quote, Republican budget is. They will lambast it uh, regardless of what's in it, regardless of teacher pay increases, which I guarantee will be there, regardless of improvements and other programs. Uh, they're just going to rally against it because that helps them win the election. And I think that's what it boils down to. I, I don't know how we get back to a point where it doesn't have to be a winner and a loser situation. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the whole like uh, you agree with something, but um, you, you act like you don't for posturing purposes. It should be noted. And this is a great example. I always love this was, you know, you know, far right conservatives always loved you know, like Ron Paul. I mean, even though that was sort of that was like Trump before Trump, kind of the populist maybe wing. But they loved Ron Paul because he would talk about getting rid of earmarks and he'd talk about, you know, auditing the Fed and da 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 da. And then Ron Paul would always vote against the budget because of the earmarks. But he would always put earmarks in the budget, knowing they were going to pass. And then they would pass and then his district would get stuff and he'd get reelected. And then John McCain, who was a rhino and the you know the most horrible establishment Republican in the history of the world, actually didn't take earmarks. He actually practiced what he preached. He was against earmarks and he didn't take earmarks, even though he was a very powerful senator who could have taken earmarks. He didn't. And yet, if you would talk to most Ron Paul people, they hated John McCain, right? He was this big establishment, big government guy. And Ron Paul was the was the fighter. But in reality, voting John McCain was far more conservative because he didn't take earmarks. Ron Paul did. And it's crap like that that drives me crazy about politicians in Washington because some of the ones that do the best work are the ones that get called rhinos and get called, you know, establishment and Georgetown cocktail party Republicans. And the ones that are the loudest and make all the most noise, either one, don't get anything done or they're hypocrites. And it, that's what drives me crazy. But I always thought that was a, that was always a, a, in my opinion, a great example of why, you know, it, it's such BS. And half the people that you know yell and scream about rhinos don't actually pay enough attention to know who the real rhinos are, because Ron Paul was <laughs> far worse when it came to the actual legislation than John McCain was. Right, right, and you know one of the big things I always look back to in a similar situation is the No Child Left Behind, the late Ted Kennedy written bill passed with a bipartisan nature and signed by George Bush has been the enemy of the left. And it was amazing how quick something that was a compromise and was an effort by both parties then just became a political talking point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were like, that's Bush is no child left behind, even though Kennedy was, you know, uh, arguing for it for decades. But yeah, the minute, the minute they, they cut loose of that thing pretty quickly. They really did. That that legislation just really went off a bridge. 
<laughs> I almost missed that one for a second. That's all right. the, the half second there worried me a little bit. I said, surely Tyler isn't going to let that one fall. But. Uh, I was trying to think of a good, like funny way to, to, to make the analogy even better, but I don't think he can. Cause you're right. He did escape and you know, you know, uh, Mary Jo Capecini was not so lucky. So yeah, that's a, That was a perfect analogy, Kevin. We, we both had great analogies this episode. I, I'm glad that that's, you know, when things come together in an unplanned way, it's just, it's podcast gold, my friend. It's the opposite of uh, Hannibal from the A-Team. You know, he loves it when a plan comes together. We love it when something we didn't plan for comes together. So Exactly. That's how <laughs> we are always astonishingly unprepared. Ah, That should be our gosh. new tagline. Story of our life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's closing time. Anything else we need to cover? Oh, real quick. I guess I should mention this just because North Carolina, Mark Harris, not running for the ninth district. So he has made that announcement <laughs> official. So God knows who's going to run for that seat. McCrory's out. Harris is out. Uh, Pittenger had said he was out beforehand. Maybe they can convince him to come back in. But Harris is officially done. I, I don't know who's going to run against McCready, but that story broke a couple hours ago. What's the what's the timeline on that? Catch catch me up we to don't speed. Know. When, we don't know. We, so we don't know. Yeah, okay. the governor because they because they got to deal with municipal elections and they got to figure out how they're going to do it. And I mean this this is going to be a process. But more than likely, there's not going to be a rep uh, for the ninth. And don't forget, the third district also is represented less uh, because Walter Jones, of course, passed away at the beginning of the month. And you know, so they have to do a special election there. They got to do a special election in the ninth. And they're going to have to figure out something. They got to deal with municipal elections and they got to make sure that it's a full election. So they got to make sure there's a primary, there's possible time for a runoff. Uh, there's possible time for, you know, everything. And so it's, it's, this is a process. They haven't announced anything, but we know that for sure McCrory and uh, Harris are out. Well, what do you think that um, Harris is going to be in legal trouble? No. As this continues to unfold, or you well, think it's done? I heard that there might be some perjury charges as a potential problem. I, I, I sort of feel like uh, any prosecutor is going to look at the situation and go, I mean, he, I mean, he almost, I mean, there's a lot of people have talked about his health and the fact that he, I mean, he was really sick at the end of last year. I mean, he had a brain, I mean, a, a, a blood disease for a while I and mean, people were worried he might die. Uh, it's been really been sort of kind of kept um, kind of quiet. And he actually mentioned it during his testimony that he was uh, that, you know, the medicine he was taking could be messing up his memory. I think they're going to look at it and go, this guy has completely destroyed his reputation. I mean, this guy was a well-respected uh, preacher in Charlotte and now, now he's ruined. I mean, he's ruined. And so they might say, well, that's sort of punishment enough. It's potential. I think the guy McCray Dallas is going to have some issues. And also Harris has plausible deniability. He can go, listen, I didn't know what he was doing. There's no evidence. I knew what he was doing. If they have something that maybe does show that maybe he's in trouble, but it looks like they sort of knew that Dallas was doing something and just let him do it and sort of, kept themselves separate to give themselves that plausible deniability. So Dallas could be in trouble. McCray Dallas, the guy behind the the absentee ballots, he could be in trouble. But I think Harris, everything he's gone through, his his health, I, I, I think the worst case scenario is he gets something, but I don't I don't see him going to jail. Well, we will definitely have to keep an eye on it. And yeah. to keep things full circle, can't forget that Harris ran against Tillis. Yeah. In 14. Yeah. Well, so no, it, and then he backed him. And 
I will, I'll tell you this real quick. Uh, there was someone, someone uh, joked on Twitter that uh, after this whole thing blew up, they said, man, McConnell was sure smart to back Tillis in that race. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> I was thinking about it earlier. You were talking about the, the people who actually get things done and, you know, with McConnell getting Kavanaugh through and stuff, you know, he, he's probably a pretty silent, uh, masterful uh, puppet master oh, up there in D.C. McConnell, they've said, is like one of the smartest guys in Washington. And get, I mean, look at the whole AOC Green New Deal. He's He said, oh, you guys like this thing? Well, we're going to make you vote. And then AOC and Markey freaked out. And <laughs> it's like, and I was talking to a buddy of mine who used to work in Washington. And he goes, listen, all my years working there, I've never seen people get angry because the majority leader of the Senate offered them a vote on their legislation. <laughs> like, I mean, he totally called their bluff. And yeah, I mean, McConnell, I know he gets, once again, another guy that gets blasted for being a rhino and, and not being a Trump, big enough Trump supporter. I mean, listen, 90% of Trump's accomplishments wouldn't happen if McConnell wasn't helping him do it. I mean, plain and simple. Judicial nominations, Supreme Court, uh, the his, his tax reform, everything would have been stifled if McConnell wasn't there to guide it through and get the votes and, and, and do what he does. And so, yeah, McConnell's a smart guy. Well, I um, I'm beginning to think it. Yeah, I never knew. I never knew what position he was really holding up there. He was kind of always the behind point. the scenes. You but, never know. But, but that's why. Yeah. That's, you know, you don't, you never, never reveal your cards. Keep them close to the chest. So you got to do or vest, whatever, chest or vest, whatever it is. I think it's both. You, okay. you wear your vest on your chest. So that's true. That's stands true. to reason. So you can, I think interchangeable. That's correct. And I'm wearing a vest today. So it, I could use both. Well, good. We were all wondering that every, every week. What is Tyler wearing right now? And I'm glad that, um, I'm glad it's a vest. We should add that to the next episodes. I could do like a little, you know, we just had the Oscars. I can do a little red carpet beginning. Like today I'm wearing uh, Joseph A. Bank. Uh, we could do stuff like that. So today. I think that would be great. Today it's Patagonia. It's Patagonia vest. I want to get that out. I'm a baller. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know. You're a wasp, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Let's uh, Let's do it again next week. All right, dude. I'll see you. See ya.